Kind of to continue with our theme uh, that Wes mentioned last week, um, making the most of every opportunity this morning. Um, you can see you're, we're in uh, Luke 10, if you wanted to open your, up your Bibles to that. Um, but just to kind of start off with, um, I think maybe within the last, let's see, I think we've been here eight years. Um, so maybe four to five years, um, I'm slowly starting to realize that um, I'm not a very patient person. Um, I maybe can put on a good face and a good front when I'm around people, but when I get in the car by myself, um, it's when you really, <laughs> maybe you learn a lot about who you actually are. So even like, especially in my driving, I notice is where this lack of patience really comes out. Um, and I think living in Chicago for five years may have a little bit to do with it, um, but that might just bring out what's actually in my heart. But um, I remember within a year of moving here, uh, I was going down Dakota, and I did something on the road that apparently the cop behind me thought was um, inappropriate, um, and he pulled me over as I pulled into the Casey's parking lot, and uh, he kind of said, uh, so did you know, realize that you uh, cut that person off? And I said yes, um, because I did realize that, but it's just something I would have done in Chicago, a typical time once a day, or I mean, just how you drive when you're in Chicago. Um, but I, I'm slowly realizing I get very impatient with how people drive, um, especially compared to maybe with where, you know, we were in Chicago for five years. Um, um, an example of this is I uh, live down, uh, where am I at? Frank's that way, right? Uh, Frank Avenue, um, I, you know, I drive that every day, four times a day, pretty much back and forth to work. And the speed limit is actually 25 on there, in case you didn't know. Um, it's something you can learn this morning. But it's consistently four to five times a week at least where I get stuck behind somebody going down Frank who's like 15 miles an hour, maybe even less. Or then they like, they don't realize it's a through street that you don't have to slow down at every intersection. Um, that people are going to stop. Um, and so uh, just frustration with that. Another frustration um, is an intersection. Um, for some reason, the right-of-way concept seems like a foreign concept to most people. When you come to a, a four-way intersection, you know, that right-of-way thing that you learned in driver's ed all those years back. Um, and I think that's really one of those things uh, that I, I learned from living in Chicago because if you don't operate that kind of intersection efficiently when you live in Chicago, um, you will hear about it and you will make all 10 to 20 people behind you very, very angry. Um, and so um, I'm slowly learning um, that um, I have this impatience with, within me. And most of the time, um, my frustration, I think I'm realizing, comes from the fact that uh, I think everyone should drive like I do. Am I the only one that thinks that way? or? Um, <laughs> Because like, I think the way I drive is, I don't know, pretty efficient. The way is pretty good. And so I, I think that when somebody doesn't drive the way I do, like that frustrates me because why don't they get it? Why don't they understand that they should be doing this and not what they're doing? Um, and I've, I'm slowly getting better, more probably in the last couple years, I would say, at um, realizing that the other person in that other vehicle um, there's a multitude of reasons of why they might be driving the way they are. Um, you know, we've got a lot of people who are fairly new to our country in our town. Maybe they drive that way because 
they're fairly new to driving. Like, if you've only been driving for a couple of years, that's, you know, pretty limited experience. Um, you know, there's, there's many reasons as to why somebody is driving the way they are. Maybe they're just one of those people that likes to enjoy life and they never look at their speedometer and never realize that they are going 15 instead of 25 or whatever the normal speed limit is. And I think the key for me has been um, trying to be understanding more of the person behind the wheel of the other car um, and realizing that they're just not, they're, they're not doing it on purpose to make me miserable or frustrated, um, but there's probably a very valid reason as to why they're driving the way they are. And even though it doesn't make any sense to me, um, it's just that's the way they are. And it's just there's a reason for that. Um, and so just like the key to avoiding frustration for me is trying to understand the people behind the wheel of the other car, um, I think one of the keys as we look to make the most of every opportunity this summer is understanding, trying to understand other people well, to be able to love them well. Um, and that's also, I think, the main distinction between the characters in our passage today. Like I said, we're in Luke 10, and we're going to start in verse 30. Um, and I know this is a familiar story for many of you. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, so if you can try to uh, keep an open mind as we go through the story, um, maybe try to put your perceptions and uh, aside as to what you uh, know or what you think is familiar. Um, and we're going to be looking at this from the perspective of um, our E squared MO. In this story, we're going to look at the example of someone who made the most of an opportunity that God put before him. So Luke 10, starting in verse 30, um, Jesus, it says, um, Jesus took up the question and said, and he starts to tell this story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. So Jesus sets up this story. Um, Jerusalem, if you don't know, is on um, kind of a higher ground. Um, I think I, I read that from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 17, 18 miles. Um, and from in that 17 miles is actually probably a lot like where we were in Guatemala. There was 3,200 feet drop in elevation from Jerusalem to Jericho. So that's a pretty significant down. And if you've ever been, like when we were driving in Guatemala, it was not like South Dakota, okay? We have the straightest roads in the world here. Everything was like this. Justin will give you witness that <laughs> corners make for fun driving. Um, so the, you imagine him coming down from Jerusalem, and um, it mentions also, as many of you probably know, but the, the terrain was rocky. There was caves. There was rocks. There was lots of places for people to hide. So this was the opportune place and location for robbers to hide out in a cave behind a rock waiting for some poor unsuspecting person to come by and they jump out and they take all his stuff. Um, your clothes are one of the most valuable things you had back in that day, especially as you're traveling. And uh, they beat the guy up and they leave him on the ground. They have no concern, no care for who he is. It's just a simple explanation of a terrible situation that Jesus lays out. But in verse 31, it says, a priest happened to be going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Imagine, new picture, he's coming up, he's walking, maybe minding his own business. He lifts his eyes up, he sees somebody, something, 
the guy was beaten and left half dead. I mean, who knows what he looks like? Um, and he decides, you know, no, I'm just going to go on the other side. He doesn't even walk. He just as far around him as he can. Um, and a priest would be, have been a religious leader. This would have been somebody that had been looked up to um, in that society. Someone everyone would expect to stop and help this man who was in need. But he doesn't. Okay, so that was opportunity number one. The priest had the opportunity. He passed by on the other side. Opportunity number two comes in the next verse. Uh, verse 32, in the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and he saw him, passed by on the other side. A Levite was somebody who assisted the priests, the guy who just passed up on his opportunity in the work at the temple. Um, and both obviously don't want to have anything to do with this man lying on the ground half dead. Um, Jesus makes that very clear by saying they went on the other side out of their way to get around this person, maybe so they even wouldn't be seen by the guy laying on the ground um, um, and, have, um, and did not want to assist him. And um, these two individuals that Jesus used, the priest and the Levite, are people that his audience, the people he's telling a story to, would have expected um, to stop and help this man, right? They were the religious leaders of their day and of their community. Community. They would have, everybody in the story and the audience that Jesus was talking to would have expected that these would be two of the most potentially best people to help this man lying on the ground. Um, and so for Jesus to use these two individuals as an example of a lack of compassion uh, is shocking to his audience. And I was trying to figure out, like, um, oh, that's four as we look at the next one, but, like, they're, like, one, there would be shock. This wouldn't be just, like, oh, that's weird. Like, this is a big deal. This is a big thing like and before we write the priest and the levite off as like well good grief like why you know they're well, why didn't they stop and help the man and why wouldn't they do that if they're expected to do that and if they're the religious leaders of the day and you start to think that they're just horrible people um and you start thinking man i'm glad i'm not like those guys uh remember uh that you and i are can be just like them um, and sometimes we are just like them. Um, a phrase, um, I've heard a lot of this is, there go I but by the grace of God, right? Um, it reminded me of a time when we were living in Chicago. Um, Rada reminded me that we were, we were trying to, we lived kind of outside um, the city. And so we rode the, the train into the city a lot. And we were going to go home and visit um, family in Montana. And we, quite often we took Amtrak, which was downtown. So we had to ride the, uh, they call it the L train, to, to commute um, from where we lived to the Amtrak station so we could get on the train and go back to Montana, a good 24-hour trip. Um, and so uh, we lived fairly close, so we were able to just walk. Um, obviously, we, you know, we're carrying luggage and things like that. Um, and, and it was, um, it must have been winter because it was kind of fairly cold out, not super cold, but um, we get on the train um, and we see some open seats. It was a fairly, uh, there wasn't a lot of people on the train at that time, but we get on the train, we see some open seats right next to the door. We've got luggage. We, that's the 
easiest place to sit. And so we sit down um, and the train takes off um, and it's not very long before we recognize a, just a very, very bad smell. Like, and I'm not just talking like a little bit, like it was to the point where like almost make you gag kind of smells. There's this really repugnant odor. And um, we realized that we didn't see when we got on that there was a homeless man who was sitting on the train, um, and I don't know how to explain it, but at the end of each train, there was kind of a little compartment um, that you could kind of sit in and be by yourself and, um, and see so he was kind of sitting there, and he, the reason he was doing this is because it was cold, and so a lot of times homeless people will, they'll beg for enough money to get on the train, and then they'll just ride the train as long as they can until they get kicked off because it's a lot warmer than being stuck outside. Um, and it was this man, this homeless man, that, was, that smelled so bad, right? It was him that had the odor um, that was so overwhelming. And uh, both of us, as we looked back on this situation, uh, were just so convicted by our actions because instead of um, reaching out and do, uh, offering something, or doing something, um, we chose to actually pick up our stuff and move somewhere else farther away on the train so that we wouldn't have to sit there for the next 30 minutes smelling this guy. Um, and so we did nothing, basically. Um, so I know maybe you have a similar situation or a similar story in your life where you were just like the priest in the Levite. Um, and uh, we'll kind of talk about, I think, why... Um, what makes that um, us do that, um, and what kind of maybe what was their mindset? But so as I, I was I was thinking about that story, and I'm thinking about the priest and the Levite. Um, I'm trying to figure out like what are some common reasons why I don't reach out and make the most of an opportunity like that. Um, and I think for me, there's three. And this is just for me, and maybe there's different things for you, but there's three main things that I um, come back to a lot. Um, and the first one is um, that I, I, I think I'm too busy. Uh, and notice I said I think I'm too busy. Um, sometimes I, maybe I am too busy because we say yes to too many things, um, but we get so busy um, that we miss an opportunity right in front of us because we just don't even, most of the time when we're so busy, we don't even see it. Um, like, and I, I even think of this too, like just in my general day-to-day -day, um, activities, like I start to catch myself, like I'm, like even when I go to the grocery store, whatever it is, I'm so focused in the way I'm thinking and busy that I'm going almost, you know, as fast as I can, blinders on, not seeing the things around me, um, because I'm so busy, I'm not taking the opportunity to slow down and even actually physically walk slower and <laughs> my head up, open up my eyes to the things around me, to the opportunity that might, God might be putting right in front of us. So that's one of the reasons um, I think I miss an opportunity. Um, another reason I think that I do is uh, I get scared. Um, and maybe sometimes it's either a, a fear of what other people are going to think, um, whether it's family, church, friends. Um, or what, are, what is that person going to think if a complete stranger comes up to them and asks if they can help them in some way? Or, um, 
or a complete stranger comes up and just says, you know, can I pray for you? Is there anything I can pray about? You see, those things that, that fear takes over. Um, remind me of another story. When I was coming home from the train after class one day in Chicago, I saw an elder lady across the street carrying some groceries, and she's got, you know, two handfuls full. Um, and the thought crossed my head, why don't you go over there and just ask if you can carry your groceries? Um, but that fear kicked in, and, well, like, what is she going to think when some complete stranger walks over and, you know, approaches her kind of thing? And I, I didn't take advantage of that opportunity. So if either you're too scared or fear. Um, and then I think also I'm starting to learn, too, through our ABF class that um, maybe our family of origin um, helps or keeps us from making the most of an opportunity or missing an opportunity. Um, and one of the things I'm learning is that we inherit a lot more than the physical traits of our family, um, of our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. Um, we inherit sometimes, a lot of times, a way of thinking or some uh, just some things that we think are true um, that maybe aren't exactly true. Um, and so we inherit those traits, whether they're good or bad, um, and sometimes that prevents us. Maybe there's some, some racism in your family of origin history that, and maybe it's just a really subtle thing. Um, it's something I've noticed some in our community with some of my neighbors, the fact that, um, you know, they're, they, they wouldn't say they're racist, but it's pretty obvious in their communication with them when they start talking about the new people that are coming into our community um, that they either don't like them or think less of them. Um, and a lot of times those things are passed on. So sometimes our family um, keeps us from making the most of the opportunity. Um, but the story shifts in verse 33 uh, with the word but um, from the two missed opportunities to the third opportunity. Um, and that's in verse 33, Luke 10, 33. But it says, Jesus says, but a Samaritan on his journey came up and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. So this is the third opportunity um, in our story. Um, and we see that Jesus goes from two men who um, everybody in his audience expected to help to a man that everybody in his audience expected to do absolutely nothing. Um, and in all reality, if, if, they sort of said a, if Jesus would have said a Samaritan was coming down the road, everybody in the audience would have expected that maybe he either kicks him once for good measure and takes whatever else he has left um, or does nothing because the Jews and the Samaritans um, hated each other. The Samaritans, to a Jew, the Samaritan was a half-breed, um, and they were not true worshipers and followers of the one true God um, because they did things different. And so Jesus picks a character um, who everyone expected to do nothing. And I don't even know, like I was trying to think, what's an equivalent of this in our society today? And I don't even think we have really anything that would be an equivalent to the relationship between a Jew and a Samaritan. There was that much um, hatred and discord between, well, maybe Democrats and Republicans, maybe that's what it would be. But, um, and so he, um, the Samaritan is the one who actually makes 
the most of the opportunity that God puts before him. Um, he actually does something instead of doing nothing. Um, and as I read this and as I look at this and study, I see that making the most of every opportunity, um, and even this is true for us today, will require sacrifice. Um, and I, as I looked at this example, I see that the Good Samaritan actually had to sacrifice three things to help this man. Um, the first thing he had to sacrifice was his reputation, because as a Samaritan, this man laying on the ground, a Jew, uh, the hatred, the discord, you know, what if somebody else sees him carrying this guy back into town? Um, or what are, what are people going to think when they see him with this guy? Honestly, probably what they thought would think is maybe he's the one who beat the guy up. Um, and so he had to sacrifice some of his reputation. The second thing he had to sacrifice was his finances. Um, two denarii in that day and age was about two days wages. So a denarii was worth a day's wage. So this wasn't just like he, you know, threw 10 bucks at the innkeeper and said, take care of him. I mean, this would have been um, much more significant than that. I mean, when you think of taking two days out of, two days your wages out of the 365 of the year um, to help somebody um, in need, it, it would be significant. Um, and then the third thing he had to sacrifice was his comfort. Um, he puts the man on his own donkey and does, goes through all this work of bandaging his wounds. The olive oil and the wine were just common um, treatments for things like that in his day. Um, and so he had to sacrifice his comfort. He had to put him on his own donkey so that he couldn't ride the donkey up that steep incline into Jerusalem. Um, so he sacrificed his reputation, his finances, and his comfort. Um, and I wanted to make a, a, sh a distinction when I talk about his finances um, because I think one thing that American Christianity is fairly uh, good at and not necessarily in a good way is the fact that we, we think our money is going to fix the problems of other people. Um, we go to another country and we think because we have money, if I just give them this money to help them build this house or do whatever, we think that's going to fix a problem instead of using um, the gifts and talents God has given us to actually help maybe like in Guatemala, yeah, we could have went and built a house, we could have went and built a church, um, but what they need is training. Their pastors have almost no training in how to study the Bible and in what the Bible actually teaches and says. And so yes, we could temporarily fix a house, but if we can provide pastors with training that can actually then teach other believers what the Bible actually says that it will change the way they live and change how they think, there's a far greater impact. So yes, we do need to sacrifice our finances that are actually a sacrifice. For most of us, even $100 in all reality is not much of a sacrifice. Um, but there are going to be times when God asks us to sacrifice um, some of our finances. And... Um, the third thing I talked about, his comfort, it kind of, um, last summer, um, reminded me of the situation that happened last summer. We've got, uh, there's, well, there's more, but there's four boys that live next door to us. I think their age is like eight to 10. Um, and they're, they're a lot of fun. I mean, they're just, they're boys. They wrestle, they do crazy stuff. Um, they're great friends. They come over to our house and play on our Wii, whatever. Um, and it's been great to establish that relationship. But um, early, mid, early spring last year, um, 
I came home to Rhonda extremely frustrated, um, and the story comes out that um, some of those boys and some of our kids and some of the neighbors um, had went, and we had we have a, a growing apple tree that's three to four years old. And last summer was like the first summer it actually produced apples. Um, and they were out having fun and thought it would be fun to pick all the apples and to use them as whatever, throw at each other or do things with them. And like, <laughs> literally, there was a lot of apples on there. You know, you could almost taste the apple pie that would have been coming that summer. But there was no more apples. I mean, literally every single apple was gone um, and picked off that tree. And there was no opportunity for that. To, and it was frustrating, you know, right? I mean, I was even frustrated. Like, why would you do that? And like, that doesn't make any sense to me. But I'm also not an eight-year-old little boy or um, kid anymore that thinks, that, oh, that'd be kind of fun. Those just look like perfect little round balls to throw and use things at. Um, and kind of a simple example of comfort, but it's we will have to sacrifice our comfort um, to make the most of every opportunity. Um, and then we come to the end of the story in verse 36, where Jesus asks um, a question. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And he asks this question because um, he's not just speaking to a random audience, he's speaking to um, somebody who, who brought up the question in the beginning um, in verses 25 to 29, a lawyer um, who is an expert in the Old Testament law who came to Jesus not seeking answers um, but seeking to justify the way he was living. Um, he's looking for a loophole so he can be selective in who he shows love to. And when he asks Jesus the question, who is my neighbor, um, in verse 29, he's not actually wondering. He's hoping, um, because even in the, the, uh, a, a law that was kind of added to the Old Testament, um, I think it was called Sirach something or other, that the Jews followed. They kind of added all these things to, to provide what they thought was clarification. Um, that it kind of basically said that you... you didn't have to help somebody who was a sinner or there were these certain groups of people that you didn't have to help and so he's trying to justify he's trying to get Jesus to um, justify the way the wrong way that he's living um, and so he asked Jesus this question well who is my neighbor um, and when Jesus tells the story of the Good Samaritan he really turns the question back to him and it's not who is my neighbor, um, but he asks, and it was thought it was interesting, he asks who proved to be the neighbor? Who through his actions and not just his words proved to be the neighbor? And as I was thinking of this lawyer, um, I was wondering, you know, how often do we come to God with our excuses for the way we're living um, to try to justify our actions before him, right? Um, just like this lawyer did, and maybe in specifically for making the most of every opportunity, we come to God and say, well, God, I'm just not good at interacting with new people, right? I just, maybe I get nervous or anxious or whatever it is, or you think, well, God, I don't even know that neighbor, you know, even though we've been living next to each other for 10 years, um, I never see him. All I see him mow is mowing his lawn. I don't even know that person. Why would you ask me to show love to that person? Um, 
Or maybe it's, I'm already serving you somewhere else, God. Why? I don't have time to reach out to that person. Why are you asking me to do something else when I'm already serving you over here? Um, or maybe um, you say, well, I'm not even, I'm just not, I can't communicate. Um, I'm not good at saying, you know, I'm not good at words or meeting new people. Or maybe you even, well, God, I can't even speak the same language, which is the case with most of our neighbors. And um, the little boys speak some English, but the parents, they don't. So, well, I can't even communicate with that person. Um, and we have all these excuses, and which is really what the lawyer had, was he was looking for an excuse to be selective in who he could show love to. Um, but he has to admit, even after, after the story, he says in verse 37, um, in response to Jesus' question, um, which one proved to be a neighbor, he says, the one who showed mercy to him. Um, and as I was thinking about this this morning, I realized he even changes the motivation for the Good Samaritan almost to make himself feel better. What did Jesus say? Why did the Good Samaritan show or act and do something? He had compassion on the man. Um, this guy changes it to mercy where it's like, well, he, he, he must have felt pity on this poor person um, that he actually, that's why he did something. Um, and it wasn't the case. It was actually his compassion um, that he actually um, did something. Um, but the, he has to admit, he, he won't even say the name. That's the, how much discord and hatred there were between the Jews and Samaritans. He won't even say, well, it was the Samaritan who helped him. That's who was the neighbor. No, he says it was the one who showed mercy on him. Um, and Jesus' simple command is go and do the same. And so the lawyer, he came with a question, and maybe um, that's what you always think when you think of the Good Samaritan. You think of the question, who is my neighbor? Um, but what Jesus shows through the story um, is he actually changes the question from who am I supposed to reach out to, or maybe who do I not have to reach out to, to am I a neighbor, okay? Are you the type of person, um, are you seeking God and who he is and understanding God's love for you and understanding God's love for the people around you um, that you are the neighbor who shows compassion um, and shows mercy and love towards the people around you. And I came across this quote from um, the NIV application commentary. Um, he says, the point is obvious. The lawyer wants to know if he can be a neighbor to a select elite few. That's the easy way. But Jesus tells him through the Samaritan's example, let the neighbor be you. Rather than worrying if someone else is a neighbor, Jesus calls us Jesus's call is to be a neighbor to those who have need. By reversing the perspective, Jesus changes both the question and the answer. He makes the call no longer one of assessing other people, but of being a certain kind of person in one's activity. Um, so as you think of um, the opportunities um, that you maybe have this summer, um, and that's kind of why we put there um, on the bottom Caitlin came across this BLESS acronym. Um, to begin with prayer, not just God, who am I supposed to reach out to, 
but maybe what do I need to change? Are there attitudes that I need to change? Are there things that I need to realize are actually lies that I need to stop believing that I can't do something or that this person or this people group, I can't reach out to them, whatever it is, um, begin with prayer for yourself and for those around you. Um, And then listen, what is God saying? Um, What is he saying to you and who is he saying to go to because if you're if you're ready if you're seeking God this is this is my firm belief and I believe it 100% that if I'm truly seeking God not like the lawyer not seeking to justify myself but if I actually want to know God more and I want him to change me and I want him to make me more like Christ and I understand his love for me that he has done way more than I ever deserve. And my sin is way greater than I can ever imagine. And the penalty for that is, you know, separation from him and that great love through all of that, through the gospel. And what that means for me, if I truly understand that, and I understand that that's the same for every person I come in contact with, no matter what they look like, no matter what they do, no matter how bad they smell, no matter what language they speak, um, if I believe the same thing about that person, um, then God is going to put opportunities in front of you and you'll see them and you'll be able to respond um, if you are truly seeking and wanting God to change who you are and to change how you love other people. Um, So not who is my neighbor. Yes, we do want you to fill out the blanks, um, but also am I a neighbor? Am I actually the kind of person that God is wanting to use to reach out to these people. Um, So hopefully that's an opportunity and a question for you to think about this week. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda m as in mary b as in boy.org or check us out on facebook by searching for bethesda church of huron have a blessed day